Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 164. Jen Wyke Huber, recorded October 12th, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and I am joined this week by your two stalwart co-hosts, Chris, the command line Godfather Neves, and Seth, the gooey kid Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, hello. Howdy, folks. I've done that intro so many times now, I don't even think about it. I was actually typing something else while I was doing that. It's just become rote. That's awesome. It's a spinal cord response. Um, (laughs) And as I said in the intro, we get so creative with our titles when we have a guest on. The title is just the guest's name. So welcome to the show, Jen, uh, who is uh, somebody that you might want to listen to. So uh, hi, Jen. (laughs) Hi. Thanks for having me. And uh, let's just answer that question right now. Who is Jen Wyke Huger, and why should we care? Well, I'm probably the person to answer that. Um, I am a I content so. manager, opensource.com. And opensource.com is a online publication where we talk about open source. We tell stories from people who work with open source in open source. And we are supported by Red Hat. All right. And you Very used cool. to work for Red Hat, is that right? Um, so I work for Red Hat right now. Okay. Opensource.com is an arm of Red Hat and um I went been with them for two and a half years. And what I mean, you told us your title, but what's your actual job? I edit, write, work with our writers, and I'm all around the content manager. I bring it in, I make it happen publish it, all that good stuff. All right. So you're essentially the editor. Yes. All right. So we have a guy who's like an editor-in-chief, and I'm sort of the managing editor. Um, we're right. Not so he's the guy with the title. So you're the don't... one who does all the work. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about Something right. like that. Well, that's how it works in my office. There's the guy with the title, and then the person, the associate, is the one who actually does everything. He is our community manager, so he does quite a bit as well, but we oh, just okay. have different roles. Very diplomatic. Don't worry. He won't be listening <laughs> to the show. <laughs> uh, and if you couldn't tell by the uh, cute little drawl there, uh, Jen is definitely a Southern girl from uh, Raleigh, uh, South Carolina, right? North Carolina. I'm sorry. North Carolina. I don't know where my Carolinas are. Not the same place. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> but it's close. Let's see, is that the... I'm I'm not going to go there. (laughs) There was something I remember in high school about South Carolina and North Carolina, and I don't remember what it was. It was some odd little factoid that I was trying to to recall, but it doesn't matter, so I'm going to stop. You would not mean factoid, Mark. You would mean short fact, wouldn't you? No, I'm pretty sure it actually was a factoid, something that sounds true but isn't. Like, South Carolina is actually north of North Carolina. Oh, okay. That's funny. I don't think that's true. It's West Virginia no. that's east of Virginia, something like that. There there are two states where that's true, but I don't think sure. it's South Carolina. I always thought it was ironic that the one state that split over the Civil War was Virginia and West Virginia and right. none of the North-South states. 
Okay. And we- next next week on Everyday History. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, we have digressed already, um, and we're not even into the top title yet. We, we, we're still in intro, and we've already gone crazy, but that happens. So I had some interesting... Um, uh, actually, it's, it was an interesting non-event this week. I opened up my uh, Chrome browser on my stock Mint distribution, went to div- uh, Netflix.com, and started streaming. And it worked. Liar. You have to be a liar because that doesn't work, right? <laughs> yeah, so after all this time, if only we could get Netflix streaming on Linux. That's what I've heard so many times. If only. Well, it's here, people. You've got to find a new excuse now. Uh, because it works. It was high def. Uh, it was beautiful. Um, and what I love about it, it was a total non-event. It just, it was, it just there. It was just the same as any other experience. Uh, I didn't have to do any user agent switching. I didn't have to have any kind of special thing. I didn't have to wave any chicken bones over my computer. I just went to the address (laughs) and clicked play and it worked. Um, if you have the latest Chrome, I think it's 37 and up, maybe 38 and up. I'm not sure which, um, which, you know, 37 came out 27 seconds before 38. That's the way Chrome does things. Um, <laughs> it's built right in now. And so you open source zealots out there, you Stolmanites, uh, tough noogies. You have uh, DRM in, uh, in Chrome now. I know you didn't want that, but the rest of us who actually want the stuff on the web and know that DRM is a part of it. Here you go. We we've got it, and we're happy about it. What do you guys think? Uh, I think it's a good thing, personally. Um, you know, and everyone hates copyright in their in their serial, but it's got to be there anymore. Um, yeah. People want to protect their content, and you know, if you need, if you're one of those people that need to protect your content, you're kind of stuck without it. So, um, good for them for actually not locking it into something like Silverlight or Flash that is broken. It's just another reason I hate you and your high-speed connection to the World Wide Web. Oh, <laughs> poor Seth. So I, I cannot, I cannot do it. Um, not good. And since you really can't cache that stuff long term, right. still no Netflix for me. You cannot watch. But it with I am you happy for watch it on a boat. Um, so, so Miss Open Source Community, what do you think about that? Is this a good thing or a bad thing for for Linux in general and open source? Yeah, I mean, I have to agree that I think it's it's just part of it. It's going to happen, and we got to roll with it. Another interesting article I read this week. I didn't put uh, put it in the show notes, but if I think about it, I'll go add it to it. Uh, the Keurig company has added DRM to their K cups in their really? in the new two versions of the Keurigs. The latest ones, if you bought one in the last month or so, uh, they actually have a chip that reads. Uh, an ID in the label of the cup, and it will not work on generic non-Cureg K-cups. Wow. That's Talk crazy. about a dark side to DRM. Um, so I hate that. They referred I'm to gonna... the K- the coffee pirates, is what they that was the language they were using, and that this wow. technology is designed at anti-K-cup piracy. Wow. Really? Yeah. That is crazy. You know, yeah, I intense. bought I bought a Keurig for uh, my church staff several months ago, and that kind of makes me want to take it away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, even though it's pre the, it's I just I think that's stupid. Um, so that's not just, only that, but their old K cups don't have the chip in it. So if you bought a store of K cups, say six months ago, 
and last right. week bought a new coffee machine. Those two things don't play together now. Wow. That is nuts and horrible all at the same time. It's not right. <laughs> I might just take this thing home with me and tell them it broke or something. Because that's, that's awful. That's disgusting. Well, I see, your that. old one, if it's, you know, depending on how old it is, you, you'll be fine. So what I see is a black market for old K-Cup uh, Keurigs is going to de- oh, develop. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm going to sell this one for like 500 bucks now. I think yeah. I'm going to list it on eBay. And <laughs> and geeks will sit back and let bills like SOPA pass, and they will let DRM slip into their HTML5. But you start messing with their coffee, and things are the, oh, yeah. the, the world programmers of the world will unite over this one, and there will be DDoS attacks on Keurig. I predict it <laughs> over this. There's probably you know already should... a YouTube video on how to disable it. Actually, well, there yeah, have no actually there has been some experience on how to hack the DRM on the new <laughs> Keurig. Um, Funny, you got you have to love that about geeks. Yes, yeah, mess with their coffee, we will fight back. Yes. That is awesome. So somebody's going to come out with an open source hardware K-cup coffee yeah. maker. It's going to call be called the x egg or something <laughs> and uh, the Shureg. Um and, and this is going to be the worst thing that the Keurig company could ever have done. Definitely. <laughs> We're going to see the Kickstarter for it any day, any yeah. day now. So what, what what's going to happen is smart, some smart geek is going to figure out exactly where that is. And they're going to cut that label off and start taping it to every K-cup they stick in their machine or something like yep. that. Or they're going to start copying it and selling it. Uh, it. It can't be a robust technology if it fits on you know a 50-cent K-cup. So it's got some RFID tag or something even simpler than that that the machine reads. So it's going to be duplicated. It's going to be beaten. And and they just got 10 minutes of bad press on, on our show about it. That's the only thing that's going to be good for them. Uh, or, or the only thing that's going to come of this is they're going to get bad press all over the web. But the question well. is, is I, I really want to know what what they did. Because, you know, I want to see a, a teardown of the new K, the K, the Keurigs to see what chip reader thing is in there. Is it RFID? Is it NFC? Is it just some sort of barcode scanner? What is it? I want to know. Hmm. So yeah, if you uh, if you Google Keurig DRM, there's uh, fifty six thousand results um, on Google about it, and the top one is on TheVerge.com that says Keurig's coffee brewer DRM has already been defeated, and the second one is on. Um, Gizmodo saying co- rival coffee cup makers have already cracked Keurig's DRM. So there you go. <laughs> the for the top two articles. Wait, wait. Here's TechDirt.com. Another one. Boing, boing. <laughs> all the all the lists on the page are about people have already cracked it. Nice work, this Keurig. Be, this will be our next week's show topic, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stupid decisions tech companies have made. This one is way up there. Definitely. That's hilarious. Oh, so uh, another stupid decision. I, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm bouncing all over the place. Um, in a book I read this week, read meaning listened to on audible.com, elementopi.com slash audible, um, <laughs> it was about uh, terrible decisions that companies had made. It was evil companies, right, that that uh, um, uh, colluded with the Nazis, for example. And, and one company, I can't remember the name of the company, uh, that created uh, the the gas that the Jews were gassed with. It was called something like, gosh, what is the gas? This story Cyanide? would have been a whole lot better if I could remember. It had a name. It was like 
Cal, Cal, Cylon, Cylon, something like that. Um, man, people are yelling at their podcast players right now because I can't <laughs> remember this. Anyway, this company recently tried to market a set of gas ranges with that same name. What? Yeah. So this <laughs> this technology they invented for killing Jews, they're trying to trademark the name for gas Zyklon ovens. B? Zyklon, that's it. Z- the Zyklon name. They 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 were they tried to market a range of Zyklon ovens. Wow. <laughs> that's yeah, somebody was not thinking clearly whenever they decided to do that. <laughs> How does this get all the way up through the ranks? And and you branding and and you have a product and you've gone through and and it, it hits the market before anybody goes uh huh maybe this wasn't the best idea yeah, you know, no I, it didn't occur to me until you mentioned it and I googled it to I googled gas that killed the Jews to find the answer to that it, <laughs> I don't recall ever hearing that name before that's awesome go Google so. foo <laughs> oh yeah I'll say I, I'm gonna stop um. um ramrodding things at least for the next couple of seconds and say uh um <laughs> chris tell us about the new slash old game you've gotten into oh yes i've been sl- i've been slowly sucked into the game called ingress um i've been meaning to play it forever and ever and i never get i never remember to try it out and i was reading an article like about two weeks ago and it was like oh i should you know, maybe install that on my on my smartphones now that I have two of them and play with it a little bit because I can you know wipe the work phone off and I don't care. Um, and then I found out one of my team members play, so it's just like, oh well, now I have more than one reason now to go play with it. So I started looking at it, and it's 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 entertaining, especially considering that every portal in my hometown is all green, so they're all uh, uh, enlightened people. So me and the 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 rest of the uh, resistance are going to have to come around and start taking them back. I I heard yada 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 blah blah. That's yeah. What is the game? Uh, I am familiar with it, but I have no interest in it. I I don't get it. So you go to this post office or whatever, and like wave your phone at it, and then something no, no. happens. No, what what happens is is it's GPS driven, right? So it tracks where you are. And then when you walk up to one of these so-called portals, there's a couple of events you can do, and you have either a limited amount of time to do them in, or you have a limited amount of resources to try and take over the portal. And it's kind of like a capture the flag. The other thing that's kind of fun about it is if you go to a different town, um, especially in my area in South Canada, there's a lot of them that are – because the company randomly drops portals in every town. So there's like, I don't know, I think I've walked across 15 or five or 10 portals that are completely abandoned and that I just kind of walked by and went, yeah, I'll take that one now. So, yeah, but what it's happens? I mean, other than nothing gaining territory, I mean, is this like a level up forever sort of thing? Yeah, basically. But what's fun, what surprises, what surprised the crap out of me is here I am in Glendive where, you know, there, there's, a handful of portals and maybe one per one other person playing, and I get a message on the message board from somebody in at Baker, which is a couple of hours away from me, going, "Hey, let's meet up and take down the portals. I'll I'll buy you a six pack of beer. Let's go take care of it." Out of nowhere, and I'm like, "That's kind of cool." 
So helping geeks, yeah. helping antisocial geeks come together since 2011. That's right, <laughs> and it's kind of fun. Oh, I just googled it. By the way, it was Siemens brand in 2002 tried to register the Zyklon name. So uh, thank you, Siemens, for being idiots. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and and Seth, the best movie ever is coming back to the big screen. Yes, I am. Uh, I'm seriously considering taking off work and driving down to Austin to go see this. Uh, on the 20th, there's a one night only screening of The Princess Bride, and they're trying to do it Rocky Horror Picture Show, Picture Show style, where like you'll get props and stuff as you go in. It is because um, Carrie is like doing a book, um, inconceivable, inconceivable tales from the making of The Princess Bride, called As You Wish. And so they're going to screen the movie, and afterward there's going to be a Q&A with him. It will be live simulcast across many um, many theaters around the nation, but the live event is actually going to be in Austin. And you can go to actionpackent.com and then find out where it's playing. The tickets are a little expensive, $45, but for But it's Carrie that, Elwes, of Well, course. it's The Princess Bride, yes. so that's cheap at any price. So, uh, I'm, like I say, I'm considering taking, um, like half a day on that Monday and then all day Tuesday driving down to Austin, getting a hotel and paying them. I mean, I'm obviously a geek to do something like that, but it just seems like it would be really fun to do. The, the local dine-in movie theater around here called, uh, the movie tavern, um, uh-huh. on Tuesday nights, they run old films like that for a month. And a couple of months ago, it was the princess bride. Um, and I so wanted to do it, but you know, I'm an old guy with kids and Tuesday nights between seven and nine, that's homework and bath and bedtime. And I couldn't do it, but I want to see the princess bride back on the big screen again. And if, if we carry always there, that just makes it totally where I, unfortunately, Georgia is nowhere in this list of places. It's Texas, Virginia, Colorado, Michigan, um, New York City, but no Georgia, no, no, no joy for me. The South oh, gets skipped a lot for these types of things. What was that? The South gets skipped a lot for these types of things. <laughs> well, see you—that's funny. It's all over Texas, but you don't consider Texas the South. Well, Ever since I moved to Georgia, I found that Southeast. out. People don't think Texas is the South, and I remind people I had to move north to get here. But uh, they always say, "Well, you're not from the South." Hello? <laughs> yes, I am. I'm like, thank you. The last victory in the Civil War occurred on Texas soil. That's June all I 10th. can say. So, no, okay. the last Confederate um, victory was on Texas right. soil. For all of you Southerners out there, give us some love. The last Confederate <laughs> victory, right. We're, we're celebrating the, the last time that we mattered in any way. It was all defeats after that. Um. Gay Texas. It is part of the South. Okay. That's that's enough of that. We'll skip over the listener feedback for now and go straight into our guest host feedback part. Uh, terrible transition. Sorry. Um, so, Jen, um, let's let's just give us the, the – I'm going to give you 30 seconds to say – the most important thing, the most your 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 job is about open source messaging, right? What's the most important message right now for open source? What's the thing that you're focusing most on? Um, so my feedback's coming a little weird, so I'm just gonna take that thirty seconds and talk. Um, 
So I would say that the most important thing right now is to tell open source stories. So how people are using open source, no matter what it is, because people are, you know, taking the word open source and they mean a lot more than just software. They mean open government, open education, um, open data, open access, all types of things that sort of have a lot to do with transparency and access. And so what our goal is at opensource.com is to tell those stories. And so um, we're talking again, a lot more of, than about just software. And I think it's important to tell those stories because um, we need to know why it matters. We need to know why um, open source is maybe a better way of doing things and how um, innovation can come about from being open. All right. So, I, I like that that message. Open source is more than software. Open source, we we use the name open source sort of beginning with software, but the idea of of revealing all your tricks. You know, we used to call it apprenticeship, right? That was where you learned the the thing, and and, and so you can open source cooking techniques, and you can open source anything. Uh, I like that. I like that. So outside of software. Where's where is open source headed? Where is it making the biggest inroads? We're seeing a lot of stories come in about open government and open education. And our readers really love that stuff. There are I don't know if you've heard of Code for America, um, but they're open government and there are so many people across the country involved in Code for America and it's all about open data and giving access to the citizens so that they can make apps and really cool things to help people live better. So I'm, I'm, I spent uh, 15 years in the education world. I was a tech uh, administrator for a small uh, school district. The first, the first show on this uh, element OP network was about uh, education. So I'm interested in the concept of open source technology. First, let's contrast that. What is closed source education? Um, so I think that a lot of it around open education has to do with the tools that the administrators use. Um, and so teachers have a hard time um, working with these tools because they can't modify and change them. Um, so they, these administrations, um, sign up for a closed source software program and they're sort of stuck with it. They spend a lot of money on it. So you're talking about Pearson. They can't. What's that? You're talking about Pearson. That's that's the name in 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 education software. It's okay, you okay. can say it. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, they're not they're not going to come and sue us. So <laughs> so so Pearson sucks. We all know that. And so the open education movement is about giving better alternatives than Pearson because there's here's the reason Pearson has a job. Well, a they have lots of lobbyists, but b in a lot of spaces they're the only people offering something, mm-hmm. right? So so the open education movement is. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get to this distinction because it's not about software. So show me how open education well, is not is about, about software. software. Okay. <laughs> so software usually plays a role as well. Um, but we have these sort of ideas and theories and then software is either a part of the equation or um, a tool that someone's using. So, so it's a little bit of both. Okay. Um, COA is an open education tool that we write about a lot. Library catalog tool, right? Mm-hmm. I set up a couple of those servers, and uh, universally, people didn't like them. I don't know why. They just okay. didn't. 
So um, I, I, that's, you know, like I said, I spent 15 years doing this, trying to convince people to use open source. And I would give them a perfectly good tool like Moodle and say, this thing is freaking awesome. Look at all you can do with it. And yeah. then like it. And and I think that's the, the dirty secret. Nobody likes any of it. The only reason people use is, use Pearson is because they don't have a choice. We paid a bunch of money for it. You will use it. Therefore, we will have in-service on it. We will have training on it. We will have back. I will depend, demand that you use it because we paid for it. Whereas if you set up a Moodle, nobody paid anything for that, so there's no cost, so nobody cares. So you're saying they don't like the closed and they don't like the open. They just don't like the software in yeah. general. They don't like the software in general. That's that's my experience. Chris, you spent a lot of time in, in education. Would you agree? It doesn't matter whether we're talking about the education software, the gradebook software, the the uh, the online um, uh, web, web portal, whatever it is, it all sucks. Yeah. Uh, from all the ones I've ever touched, it, it's all garbage. And I don't know what to, how to fix it, but I just know what's there is broken. So maybe the message should be, the open source community should get together and make something that's better. Something right. we've talked about on, on this show a lot, right? The, 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 the at least titular focus of this show is Linux. We talk about it every once in a while. Um, and the problem with the Linux operating system is it's not significantly better than the alternatives. It's not significantly worse either. It's, it's right. fine. Windows is fine. Mac OS is fine. Linux is fine. No, there, nobody has any reason to use it because it's not better. And so... Since all things being equal, for some reason, at least in American minds, there's this idea that if everything is pretty much the same, the one I pay for is better, and the one I pay the most for is the best, i.e. Mac, is known as the premium software. Not because it really is, just because it's the most expensive. Right. And it's weird how that works. And maybe we have the same idea about government. The government that costs the asks the most of its people is the one that... Is seems to be the most popular. The more socialistic the government is across the the world, the more tax burden it demands, the more demands of people, the more people seem to buy into it. I hadn't made that connection until just now. Well, I think that something you're getting at that resonates with me is the idea of collaborating to make things better. So innovating through collaboration is a big thing that we focus on, and we try to tell, tell stories about that. So it's not necessarily we're saying these tools are so much better because we don't use COA, for instance, right? but we're trying to get people to really stand behind the open source way, which is participation, collaboration, transparency, rapid prototyping, that right. kind of thing. Something you said there, though, was collaborating to make things better. I think oftentimes we collaborate to make things as good. And so maybe our goal is wrong in the open source community. It really should be about making things better, collaborating to make software better, collaborating to make hardware better, collaborating to make the world better instead of to make it as good. Yeah, I could see that. That makes sense. All right, that's it. I've made sense once tonight. Uh, I'm done. <laughs> well, you better Game end over. it now. Let's stop now because it can only go downhill from here. <laughs> no, I like that. Okay, so I, I gave you 30 seconds, and then I pounced on you. Uh, so what else, what else do you have to talk about? What's, what's big in your world right now? Um, so I have been taking this Intro to Linux class by edX, and it's 18 chapters, and I just finished it. Well, really, I skimmed the last four because it got a lot more technical. So I wrote this article that I think that, you contacted me about, or one of you guys saw it and said, Hey, let's talk to that girl. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, that was me, by the way. I was, uh, okay. yeah, I, I have this uh, list of about, I don't know, it's up to about 15 different websites. I troll for news and content for this show. And then one of them linked to a page that, um, that you were on. And I read it. I was like, Hey, I think she would be a great person to get on the show. And so I sent you a, a, a blind cold call email and you responded. So I was very happy and stoked about that. Well, one of the funny things about that article is our headline for that article. You know, it was, it was very, it was a little bit of link bait. We didn't mean to really go that direction, but it caught a lot of people's attention because I think because, um, people were saying you don't have to be technical to learn Linux, but I took this intro course and it was pretty hard to learn some of it. I shouldn't say to learn it, but to really get into it, um, because I'm not a programmer or a coder and I learned a lot but I could have learned a lot more if I knew more about computing. And that's something I have said many times is we, we do a disservice when we tell people you don't have to be technical to learn how to use Linux. That's just a lie. You have to be technical to learn about any operating system. (laughs) You don't have to be technical to use Linux, but to, to learn how to make it go, you have to be technical. That's true of windows. That's true of Mac. That's true of Palm. That's true of, of iOS, you know, to, to learn the, the guts of anything, you got to be a technical person. And, and we, we're so zealous to tell a good story that I think we often lie in the telling. I think that we also want to include people. We want to say people come learn about Linux, join Linux and anybody can do it. And like you said, there's an extent to that. Anybody can use it. And I can learn how to be more technical. I can learn how to program. I can learn how to code, of course. But there are all those things that need to happen before I can really jump into the uh, deep end of learning Linux, how to use it technically. Right. So you're not a, a geek. You're, well, you're not a technician. You're a storyteller. You may be a geek, too. but that, that's I like okay. to say that my language is English. Right. It's not Python or... Right. That makes sense. So, so I'm interested in how the the skill set of a storyteller comes into the open source world, you know, be it software, hardware, government, whatever. What what is what is the role of a storyteller in in the world of open source? Well, you know, I think there aren't a lot of people telling those stories. Um you guys exist for a reason. You're telling some stories out there and sharing them with people. And there's, there's value in that. And for Red Hat, they want to tell the open source story. They want to tell about the software and why open source is better. They think it's better. And so we go out and find people who might have a neat story to tell. And I think generally that's a good thing telling other people's stories no matter what they are. Well, and technical people are not known for their ability to communicate. There's there are different skill sets in life and and yeah. the skill set that makes you a good programmer does not make you a good communicator most of the time. <laughs> right. It's good to have people of from all walks of life part of your team. This is another thing that we talk about a lot on the site is that you don't have to be technical to maybe contribute to an open source project. So maybe I could contribute by helping with translating or um, documentation. I don't really know. I haven't gone there yet. I think I would still have to be a little bit more technical, but we'll right. see. One of the things I say uh, about open source 
in general is the the best thing that the novice non-technical user can do is be excited about it. Yeah. Because when we're excited about things, we naturally tell people about it. We we find ways to work it into conversation because it, it doesn't matter what you're excited about. Every everybody who's uh, had a friend who became a new parent learns about every time the kid pukes or poops because they're excited about that new kid even if the story's not a good story they're excited about telling it and so if you right. get excited about koha which yeah. is not an exciting piece of software but if you get excited about it then you will tell people about it i tell people about this show too the best thing you can do is enjoy the show because if you enjoy the show you will tell people about it so yeah. and i think people they they look they they I we get emails for the show all the time. How can we help? What what can I do? I'm not a this. I'm not a that. How can I help? Well, you can use it and you can like it and you can tell people that you like it. Yeah. And and it's okay if the only thing you ever do is use something and enjoy it. That's that's not that's a thing. Right? The well, reason that, people we, make it is so that you can use it and enjoy. That's one of the it. stories that we tell is someone used it and they liked it. And they literally wrote 500 words about their experience. We published that. <laughs> cool. That works. I mean, it's, yeah. All right, guys. But jump in there. I'm sorry. I'll stop I don't know what else to say. I mean, you guys are you're hammering all the the points home. I mean, it's it's nice it's nice to have a like minded individual on the podcast. So it's not just us three going, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but then when we get a like-minded individual on the podcast, that's all we do is go, yep. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Jen, I have, you know, about the show or about the course that you took, um, do you think, like, if somebody was like, hadn't used Linux before, do you think that course would help them be- use it? Or is that course pretty much designed for somebody who's either going to be programming or supporting Linux? So confession time, I had never used Linux before taking this course. Right. Um, I downloaded Linux on my Chromebook halfway through the course and used it for the first time. So I do think that you can get something from it because I definitely did. And it pushed me to install it and use it. And I got stuck in it doing random things for like an hour and looked up and was like, what time is it? What am I doing on this thing? So, um, yeah, I, d- I definitely do. You don't have to be technical to take the course or learn about it, like we said. But, you know, there was a lot that I didn't. There were, I guess what the idea for me is that there's a lot of basics that you sort of have to Google and look up. And what is this term? And bash, pseudo. I mean, I get it now. Right. So, yes. Super user do. <laughs> pseudo. Yeah, so it seems, I mean, would you say then that maybe this is a case where to the people in the Linux community, they see this as some type of, oh, this is an entry-level thing when it turns out it's entry-level to them, but to all of the everybody else, we need like a primer to get to the entry-level. Yeah, I definitely had the thought that it would be nice to have a course that was a lot more basic, and maybe it's even just a computer science um, with the focus of Linux. Uh-huh. So, yeah, an even more basic course would be better to take. I need to hook you up with our, our sponsors, the LinuxAcademy.com, and have you 
I know I can get you a free course, uh, you know, a couple of months there. Have you take okay. their course? They because they begin with an intro to to Linux history. That's one of the courses they begin with, and and have you go through there and then write about your experiences. That I, that would be fascinating to me. In fact, even if okay. Anthony won't give you a free, I will pay for it just to hear just to be able to read that story because that's that seems fascinating to me. Somebody who um, is interested but has no background. Um, and and takes it and and what what can happen with it? That that sounds fascinating. But again, it's a story to tell. And if yeah. your story if your story ends up being a you know a sad heartbreaking story, then that needs to be told too because that that mm-hmm. shows that there are holes that need to be filled. Off, I complained about it in the last couple of episodes about the Ohio Linux Fest. Those guys are so good they've forgotten what it's like to be a beginner. So yeah. some of the things that they offer for beginners are clearly not for beginners, but they don't remember <laughs> what it's like to be a beginner. Yeah, yeah. I, well, and that's another reason I think the article got as much publicity as it did. Um, it got like 17,000 page views in the first day, which is wow, a lot for us. Wow, that's impressive. And I think it was because there are a lot of people who um, are in that position where they want to learn more and they really do want to start out as a beginner, but the material is not for beginners. So I will do that. I would love to take that course. I would love to write about my experience doing that. That'd be great. All right. I'm going to make it happen. Okay. One way, One or, way or another, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> I would love to read that. Uh, you know, you, you spend two months of your time trying to be learn to be a Linux administrator and see what happens. Because um, I, I could never do that again. Because I started, I grew up with computers. I got into these things. My, my first computer was a TRS-80 color computer model one. Uh, bought from Radio Shack when I was eight years old. Uh, my brother had a VIC twenty, and I was I was jealous of him because he had twenty k of RAM, and I only had sixteen. Um, <laughs> so I can never have that beginner experience again. It's not possible for me to. So I need other people to have that beginner experience for me, for me, so that I can know where we're not. Right, and and I don't. Yeah. Again, this show is is supposed to be for the everyday user. But even as much as I try to speak for the the new person and try to define terms as we go, I don't know what I don't didn't remember, right? I don't know the things that are so part yeah. of my everyday usage that they're not common. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to I find know that, that that's too. interesting to you and that you'd want to hear that. I, I would very much. Okay. Chris, you were saying. I was going to say, you know, that, and that makes sense to me too. I mean, I'd love to hear, I'd love to read that story or even hear about it here on the show if you wanted to come over and give us a, a teaser after it's all done. Okay, um, yeah. Because, you know, someone, and I, I know I've got the moniker, the command line godfather, but even I forget things and, and come back and go, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Um, but it, it's, it'd be nice to be able to see something because I've been doing computers for not quite as long as Mark, you know, up there in the, the gray hair chair, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh my first computer was an apple 2e i mean it might it, it was in the second that happened it was like a light bulb turned off in my head it was like bing i want to play with this forever and i couldn't go back and even relive that one moment again right. with a new machine any machine because i've I've, ha- I've had so much experience growing up with it so i'm in the seventh grade and um the uh, the middle school principal comes into the computer class where I'm taking computer science, um, computer math, I think they called it back then. 
because uh, they didn't know what to do with these things. They're good <laughs> at math, so let's call it computer math. And I had already blown through all the curriculum for a year in like the first six weeks. And there were there was me and another guy that we were just sort of independent studying at that point, meaning the teacher didn't know what to do with us. So the the principal comes in and says, I have a list here of names, addresses, and phone numbers for every student at this middle school. I I have a computer on my desk. I should be able to put those two things together. I should be able to use this computer to store and search these names. Why can't I do that? And the teacher of the class pointed at me and said, go ask that kid right there. <laughs> so I, th- I thought, awesome. This is a great challenge. All I, you know, all he needed was a database, right? I didn't know that. I didn't know there was any such thing as a database. So instead of just f- typing stuff into Access for him, I wrote him a database in GW Basic. Wow. Using, using, using the file write and file read commands in Basic, I would read 80 sectors at a time because that's all the RAM that could hold. <laughs> and I would display it to the screen and he could scroll through the name that he was looking for. I learned I learned that if I didn't display it to the screen, I could do it 10 times faster. So if he was looking for something that started with a, a, an X, right, I could read it 80 lines at a time until I got to something that started with an X and then start displaying the Xs. And then he could page through. So I, I had no idea that there was... A, and after I'd spent like seven weeks on this thing and presented it on a five and a quarter inch floppy disk to the principal and said here is your list of things then the teacher goes over to me and shows me whatever the microsoft works version of the database was at the time and says now here's how you could have done it but that wouldn't have been nearly as much fun so i say that to say we that that's gone now the tools that people need already exist and the that discovery is so it, the the barrier of entry is so high now you can't just write the next great iPad app without some serious tools at your disposal and I, I think that we've lost something we've gained a lot but we've also lost the thing where that kid in the back of the class can be handed a stack of papers and said do something cool with this I think I had well, a point when I started that story but I forgot <laughs> it along the way it's still a good story. It's a great story. Yeah, it is a good story. <laughs> I didn't know that about you, Mark, that you really rewrote a, uh, a databasing software. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> if I could do it on a computer, I did. We, uh, the ninth grade computer, uh, not computer, but science fair. Uh, I, I thought, well, computer science is a thing, right? So I'll make, So I wrote a program that given... Any planet in our solar system, given the arbitrary mass of an object, I could calculate whether or not it would be captured by the Earth, by the gravity of that planet, whether the orbit, what the orbit would look like, whether it would crash, whether it would arc and spin out, or whether it would just fly off. Um, that was my science fair project. Um, because wow. I'm a geek, and that's what geeks do when they don't have any. <laughs> you know, I, you were busy trying to get girls and be popular, and you know, dating. No, I was writing graphs constant into GW Basic and trying to store it all <laughs> on a 360k drive. Wow! <laughs> See, Mark, and while you were doing that, I was learning the uh, different. You jazz were learning scales. to tie your shoes when I was doing yeah. that. Well, maybe that stuff, yeah. But when it comes to computers, you know, I didn't go whole hog into computers till after high school because I, I was too busy playing jazz and, and being on stage. So, uh, but yeah, that's awesome. I didn't realize all that about you, Mark. Good Lord. You're, about, <laughs> you're about the geekiest guy I know. 
<laughs> I earned my geek cred, baby. Yes, yes, you did. <laughs> uh, so, Jen, uh, softball. Uh, anything new or exciting happened in your life recently? Um, yes, actually, I got married about three and a half weeks ago. And Congrats. so. Uh, you were going to be on this show last month, and for some reason, you decided that getting married was more important than being on the podcast. I had a few things to do. Well, <laughs> Just congratulations a couple. to you. Thank you very much. It was fun. So how are you enjoying married life? I'm loving it. He's a great guy. He's a web developer, and so we have lots to talk about, both being uh, working in the technical world. So, um, about all my friends from college were computer science guys. Um, so, you know, when I say I don't have a technical background, like I don't in education, but I feel like maybe my generation plus my friends in college already have a leg up a little bit. So maybe that's why I'm where I am now. (laughs) I had a friend who went to uh, engineering school and she was like one of six women in the whole school. And uh, she used to say that the odds are good, but the goods were odd. (laughs) that's good that is a good one okay so what else do you want to tell us uh okay what is the mooc well the mooc Um, was the actual um that was the class she took i wanted to ask her about open source riley um i know she was real keen to talk about that and then we kind of just took this off into some weird direction that's what we do (laughs) well have you have Um, you heard the show seth (laughs) <laughs> yeah you know once in a while i've caught pieces of it so okay all right jed open source raleigh is what well so the all things open conference is coming up um october 22nd and 23rd this is the second annual conference um and there are some really great speakers coming and on opensource.com we did a speaker interview series prior to the conference we interviewed um several of the speakers and you can see all of them on opensource.com. Um, it's a great conference. I went last year, and I'll be going again this year. And I think what they're sort of going for and labeling it as is the OzCon of the South, Southeast. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't qualify that. So. <laughs> Not Texas. So, so tell us more about it. What, what were the topics? What were the, what, what went on? Give us more. Um, so it's coming up and let's see, I'll tell you some people who are going to be speaking. That might be interesting. Oh, it's, I'm, um, I'm sorry. I thought it was in the past. It is about to happen. It is about to happen. Okay. October 22nd and 23rd. Nice. Um, you guys should come. Well, um, that's not uh, out of the question. Yeah, that's close for you. That's a that's a bit of a bit of a travel for me, and, and even more of a travel for me. <laughs> All right, so I but just googled fun. it. It's four hundred and twenty-two miles from Woodstock, Georgia, to Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay. I could do that in about uh, six and a half hours. It's not so bad. this this happens over a weekend. It's a Wednesday and Thursday. Ah, not possible. Darn it! I could do it on a weekend. Well, okay, so what's going to happen? All right. So, what am I missing, um, Jen? <laughs> well, okay, so let me tell you about some of the speakers. Maybe that'll round things out. Um, James Pierce, head of open source at Facebook, is going to be giving a talk. 
um, Guy Martin from Samsung, Leslie Hawthorne, Elasticsearch, Delissa Alexander from Red Hat, Michael DeHaan of Ansible. So experts in open source is the idea. Okay. And um, there are some workshops, too. I, I had some notes in here. Um, it's supposed to be a little technical, but also a little not technical. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so great at explaining this. Yeah, as a storyteller, you're not telling much of the story. <laughs> no, come, on, come, on. come on, Jen, give us more. <laughs> okay. They will host 45-minute sessions as well as an hour-and-a-half workshops on 10 tracks. So wow. I, 10 tracks That's in googling tracks. open source raleigh I, I have a raleigh builds itself as the world's first open source city that's interesting that is interesting what do you know anything about that i do my coworker jason who we referred to earlier as the editor-in-chief jason hibbets yeah. jason hibbets that's right he's the uh, author of this article um which article um on opensource.com Posted February twenty first, two thousand eleven. So it's yeah. old, but uh, oh, okay. About open source or Raleigh yeah. is the first open source city. I'm sorry. So go ahead. Yeah. So he's sort of been part of the group of people who've been leading the way on that and bringing open source and transparency to Raleigh's government. Okay. So transparency. You know, typically we talk about it in forms of like sunshine getting in all the dark deep crevices and burning all the secrets out right that's that's what we think about in terms of transparency in government is that what is that what his focus is no secrets i think the idea is open data around transportation okay. uh, transparency um, okay so so the data being you get to know how many parking tickets i have <laughs> i think it's more like these are how many people got parking tickets. Okay. What can we do about oh. it? How, how can we how can we eliminate the parking tickets? The parking or problem. how can we make more money the off parking the parking problem. tickets? Right, because honestly, to- cities don't want to eliminate parking tickets. They want more parking tickets. <laughs> but maybe Depends citizens your side want of the city. to. And so they would maybe make an app that would help that. Yeah. So I want I want smart um, parking meters that send a message to the app telling me that the money's about to run out. That's an open source thing that you could do. Okay. Well, I have a question for you. Um, There was a group, I believe it was some city in California. I believe it was San Francisco, but I'm not sure. And they wrote this app and I don't really understand how it worked, but if you left your parking meter early and there were still time on it, it advertised that. And then you like, you could, get somebody and they would like pay you something for your leftover time and the city fought back against them claiming that the app was illegal for some kind of reason so is that you know has there been any kind of blowback from riley about uh or raleigh about hey you're cutting into our governance here or they have they been embracing things like this i think that for most of the apps and most of the initiatives they've been working in tandem with city council. So I haven't heard of any blowback of any sort. And there's this whole open Raleigh portal, supposed to be an open data portal. I I haven't used it. I don't know that much about it, but I think things are going pretty well. Cool. Okay. 
Okay. Is there what else? What else is top on your mind? You want to talk about? I don't want to keep you all night, but I don't want you to leave out of here and go. Oh, if I had only said this um, or this. Let's see. She's so prepared. She's looking at her notes. I'm, I am looking at my notes. I think we've covered <laughs> the majority of it. <laughs> I wrote down a lot of things about me, which is hilarious. Um, like how I got into open source. Do you want to hear that? Sure. We want to sure. hear everything you want to tell yeah, us. Yeah, that would actually be a good story. Okay. All right. So Jason Hibbets sent me a message on LinkedIn that said, hey, would you like to do some copy editing part-time? And I was working somewhere that wasn't very exciting. And I figured Red Hat was probably pretty exciting because they were doing well and everybody knows about them and they're moving downtown <laughs> and that's exciting. So I've been there for two and a half years now and I love it. It's a great place to work. And it's, I think it's the first time I've ever loved my job, which I'm 10 years out of school. I don't wow. know if it took you guys a while to find something that you love, but it took me a while. I'm still looking. So <laughs> <laughs> I was very fortunate. I found the job I loved right out of school. And then it over time became a job I didn't love anymore. Um, so now I'm in search of the new job that I love. I love doing this, but you guys don't pay me enough. So, you know, <laughs> I got to find something else. It's so, amazing how that food factor comes in. Yeah. Yeah. Once you, once you have a couple of kids, everything changes. It's like, I can't live on Cheerios and bologna anymore. I, I have to have a real job now. <laughs> or, or in the house or in a van down by the river. <laughs> Kevin in a van right. down by the river. That's awesome. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That made my whole day. Anytime I can quote Chris Farley, I don't know. Anyway, so what else? So you got into open source. You you sort of backdoored into it. You were right. You were a copywriter writing about open source. So how did the or did I'm making the assumption uh, the the did what you were writing about change the way you think and and what you want? So I started out in PR, which. It's pretty soulless. Um, <laughs> NC State did not have a journalism school, and so I took communications, and I just kind of went into this concentration of public relations. Did that for a little while. Didn't like it. Wanted to help people, so went into healthcare. And before I got accepted nursing to nursing school, and before I went, I started writing again. And so that that's sort of how I got back into writing. And, um, I started a blog and I, I guess my, and maybe this is not answering your question at all, but something I do want to say is that I think a good way to find the job that you love is to just start doing something. And open source is a little bit like this, you know, doing something that you love, finding your hobbies and just being a part of a project. And I love that about open source because you can just start contributing to most projects. Um, and so I feel like I sort of did that a little bit and I do love writing about open source because there's so much about it. That's a little bit like hippie, free love, happy, make the world better. <laughs> right. And so I like that. <laughs> cool. So you're a hippie out of time. <laughs> 
So has <laughs> has working or, at or Red I, Hat informed your thinking in any way? Do you do you now look for the open opportunity, the open source solution rather than the code? Has it has it changed you as a person in any way? I think it's sort of reinforced who I've already been and who I sort of am at the core, but it has changed my understanding of business and enterprise and sort of the whole um, capitalism and, and things like that, how business works and how that world works because I didn't know anything about open source before. And, and it's a little bit more open-minded and collaborative than I thought people would ever work together in that sort of environment. Hmm. And so you, you found out that you can be a hippie and make money. <laughs> Something like that. That's great. All right, so I don't I don't want to keep you from your new husband any longer than I have to. So uh, we're going to move on to okay. our our discussion points, uh, our our listener feedback, and then we're going to go do some new stories. You are more than welcome to hang out with us. We love having you, but if you want to go, uh, this would be the time to do it. Okay, I will do that. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Jen, it's been a pleasure, and and we would love to have you back uh, sometime when we actually schedule you at the right time. (laughs) That would be great. Yeah, I I apologize. I'll plan on it. (laughs) Seth, you're fired from time zones. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's uh, my bad, totally. Okay, so uh, let's uh, zoom in now to our uh, listener feedback and see what, uh, what we have there. There we go. Brian has some thoughts on Roman numerals. So in a show that's already been fairly random, let's just jump right into Roman numerals, because why not? So Brian says, I'm following up on some comments about OS X versus OS X from a few weeks ago. Item Roman numeral one. It's hard to believe, and it sounds like an urban legend, but being reported as genuine news story, and it's right there on the internet, so it must be true. India's state TV channel has fired a news anchor for referring to Chinese President Xi Jinping as 11 Jinping. The presenter apparently confused Mr. Xi XI's name with the Roman numerals XI. Her name has been removed from the panel of newsreaders. Doordarshan News Chief uh, Arkana Data told BBC Hindi, describing the error as, quote, grave. President Xi ended a three-day visit to India on Friday where he signed 12 deal- deals to boost trade and economic ties. The blooper occurred during a show on the Doordarshan News on Wednesday night. That was a total Ron Burgundy moment right there. Yeah. That's awesome. That that's hilarious. I love it. I'm glad. I'm I'm just glad I'm not the one who made that mistake because that sounds like something I would do totally as well. So could be. I could see right. making that mistake. Mister Eleven, how are you today? <laughs> All right. Uh, Item Roman numeral two. While listening to a discussion about system D, I remembered that D is the Roman numeral for 500. So if we have to say OS 10, should we also say system 500? Item Roman numeral three. (laughs) True fact. Microsoft Excel has a function to convert numbers to Roman numerals. Think of what you could do to the accounting department spreadsheets. Best wishes, Brian from Overland Park, Kansas. 
I think you know what I want to do I think do if now. I ever leave my job, I'll write a micro <laughs> that converts every number to Roman numerals. Yeah, just search through. That would be easy to write. Just a little uh, VB shell uh, that searches through the shared drive, finding all Excel spreadsheets and setting that bit so that r- numbers become Roman numerals. Oh, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> Make sure you I have a reverse, that. though, for VB. <laughs> Because you know, you know, if you do that, you're going to be called back in with a police judgment or something. <laughs> oh, gentlemen, the but uh, the, the according to these reports, our profits were up X Z Q L Y B N M L. Wait a minute, what? <laughs> oh, that's, that's so many that's, layers of awesome. <laughs> so many that's a good title for the show so many layers of awesome thank you brian and by the way uh brian uh has written in a few times and he always puts the where he's from overland park kansas i've decided i'm going to start announcing that because it's cool to know where people come from uh i know that we have um i can't remember his name right now but he's from fort bragg uh south carolina military guy and uh i know we have listeners from other countries so when you write in from now on please put where you're from uh, and I'll, I'll say that. So, for example, Guillaume, I'm assuming, is uh, either a Cajun or from France. Uh, he says, hello all, record- regarding the command line text editor, I think that Mark's complaints uh, aim at the wrong system. Sure, Vi slash Vim is available everywhere, but nowadays so is Nano. Everyday Linux users have a lot more chance to be directed to Nano than Vim and when they're instructed to edit a file from a command line. That's true. However, Nano is not that user-friendly, has a lot of weird keyboard shortcuts, and uses an unusual vocabulary. So in my opinion, it is toward Nano that your complaints should be aimed. If you would like to have an almost sane command line editor, I suggest you should look at Sanos Text Editor. It doesn't have drop-down menus, but you can use all the keyboard shortcuts that you're used to in Windows. That is Control-C to copy, Control-V to paste, Control-Z to undo, use shift arrows to select text, etc. That's what I want. There's one drawback, though. It's not in most repos, so you have to compile it yourself. Now, continue to hear me out for a little while. The compilation process is literally two commands, and one of them is just a wget. It has no dependency, so once you have the binary, you can send it to any of your friends that is less techie. Regards, Guillaume. So uh, that sounds like it's closer to what I want. Yeah, I would say it's very close to what you want, Mark. From when I'm looking at their site, it looks pretty straightforward. Yeah, if if I can use the arrows and the control keys... In in normal standard ways, that would be often. In in Vim, you use the control keys, but not in normal ways. Right. Yeah, they have special commands attached to the keys instead of the usual Microsoft Word driven type keyboard commands. Right, and well, I understand that uh, that Vim, Vi anyway, precedes a lot of the Windows stuff. And so I get that they're, the the developers would think, well, why should I have to change the way I do things because Microsoft came out and did things a different way? Because everybody in the world knows the Microsoft ways. That's why. It's a good reason to change. It really is, honestly. I think so. <laughs> nah, I, I, like, I like mine. It works. There we go. I was looking for the rebuttal from the command line godfather there. You're welcome. I was waiting for the other one for uh, Mr. Gooey to get done first, so. <laughs> you well, know, sometimes I- sometimes we get caught up in the 
this is the way I do it, and so I'm going to continue to do it regardless of the way other people do it. Linux, open source in general, but Linux in particular does that. They will eschew really good user interfaces just because Mac does it or just because Windows does it. Um, and over time, those things catch on. Uh, but, you know, things like transparencies uh, in, in Windows, right, the, the, that's one of those things that the Linux people balked at and then excelled at then windows copied them and now everybody's going away from it again and it's it's a weird it's weird that it was there was this thing it was out there and you could do it and first people could do it then more people could do it then everybody could do it and now people are backing away from it and i don't understand yes it uses a lot of gpu but i like the glass interface Ugh. you can keep you it see? you can keep it I turned it off. The second it kit was available, I was like, nope. <laughs> I like being able to see what's happening behind the window. I don't. Not at all. All right. To each well, my way own. is right and your way is wrong. Yeah. Just because. <laughs> it's there. It's there. It's not. Who cares? <laughs> That's the open source mentality. I'm right. You're wrong. Go fork it. All right. And lastly, Nige comments on broadband competition. It was interesting to hear your recent discussion about the lack of competition in the U.S. broadband market. Here in the U.K., we have a massive competition, but in some ways it's artificial. In many towns, there are at least 20 potential suppliers, and in a city like London, there could be over 100, although quite a few of those will be niche providers serving business customers. The problem is that the bulk of the delivery infrastructure is still owned by British Telecom. So whoever your provider is, there's a lower limit to how much impact the competition can really have. I pay the equivalent of about $40 a month for unlimited data bundled with a fixed phone line package, covering my line fee and giving me free local and national calls. I suspect that's somewhat cheaper than a typical package in the U.S., but when you compare the geography of the U.K. with the U.S., the economics of providing broadband nationally should be a lot more attractive here. Despite that, broadband in my rural area is laughable. In big towns and cities, 20 to 50 megabits is not uncommon, but living out in the back of beyond, I consider myself lucky to get 3 megabits up and 300K down. That's weird. It's backwards. Um, here, the down is always faster than the up. Yep. Yeah, uh, it's, it's totally plenty of people. Plenty of people still, with similar. Three, three, that's redonkulous. Out in the back <laughs> end of nowhere, and you get three nights, your whole argument just went out the door. <laughs> I could pay for up to two if I wanted to spend like almost a hundred bucks a month. No, um, but Seth, he's, he only gets three hundred k down. Three hundred k. That might just be a typo. He might have. You think done the up and down? Yeah, because I don't think anybody that that doesn't make sense. Okay, so maybe he's getting three megs down and and three hundred up. Yeah, that that would seem more rational. That would be the American way. Nigel, let us know. Uh, what the case was and we yeah, people always right sorry <laughs> plenty of people in similar areas get little better than dial-up speeds like seth i totally agree that there are cases when market forces will never themselves deliver what should be a basic utility for everybody there are parts of the uk where there are no plans other than the vaguest of intentions to roll out high-speed broadband our government located in a huge city with excellent broadband provision seems to be unaware of that fact because there are now statutory forms which farmers are required to use which are only available online they can't access them over the dial-up but get fined if they don't submit these forms how crazy is that 
Well, crazy isn't uh, the domain of purely the Brits because no that same sort of thing happens here. Um, schools, for example, uh, in Texas, where I'm where I'm from, are required to take a particular test online, but most schools don't have the bandwidth to do that. You can't get all 7,000 of your seniors in a room at one place to take this test because you don't have the bandwidth. So you end up putting up an entire caching server just for this one stupid test. No, I'm not bitter. Why do you ask? <laughs> I don't want to even get started on mine, but yes, I'm in the same boat. Um, and I think... Uh, if I remember correctly, at least in Montana, there was a, a thing passed that every school must have a minimum of, I think it was 10 meg down and 1 meg up. And that was, uh, no, 100 meg down, 10 meg up. But yet, out here in the sticks of Montana, that requires the local Thousands telecom. Thousands of dollars a month. Well, yeah, well, not, not only just that, but it, it required the local telecom to run a special fiber line to all the schools. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a, a an interesting project that we had to endure because of somebody in the in the other side of the state that gets, you know, three times the amount of government pay or government uh subsidies. Yeah. It it was great fun. And the odds are that your telecom had to increase their bandwidth. To accommodate the demand. Probably. I would almost bet on it. You know what would be an awesome law to pass is that you are not qualified to write or vote a law that you don't understand. That would basically bring all new laws to a halt <laughs> in the government. Because, I mean, it would, it's it would break the government to where they don't know what they don't know what they're talking about. But some lobbyists paid the well they didn't pay them they got a campaign contribution so they didn't get any money directly i'm not a, i'm not suggesting bribes but you know somebody comes and gives this great sales pitch and they're in you know usually your capital is maybe not the biggest city in the state but it's always a nice size city so you've got lots of infrastructure and you know oh well let me pull out my smartphone oh look i've got four thousand gigs so obviously anybody could have two gigs anywhere let's make that a law so yeah it's just redonkulous yeah austin texas for example the 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 county the government seat of the state has a, a 10 gig fiber ring that runs around it that goes right through the capital so the capital gets 10 gigs um and so what do they know they just log onto their laptop that the that the the citizens of the state paid for, fire up their ten gig bandwidth that the citizens paid for, and watch bra- uh, porn in in high def and don't think anything about it. Yeah, and they can all do that at the same time. I mean, imagine everybody yeah. in Fruitvale, Texas, trying to watch porn. That would crash the county's broadband. <laughs> That's just one small city. Come on. That's funny. <laughs> Um, all right. So yeah, the fact is things are screwed. Ronald Reagan once said that, uh, the best minds are not in government because when they are business steals them away. Uh, yeah. and that's, you know, that's true. The best minds aren't in government in any government in any country. Now totalitarian governments have a better chance at that because they can say you work for me now. Uh, so, you know, the former Soviet Union, the, the current Chinese uh, government, they have a leg up on having the best minds in government because they don't they can allow their their citizens no choice in the matter. But any democratic government is going to have to compete 
at a deficit, at an intel- intellect deficit, because the the capitalism of the 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 market in in their country will pull away the best minds. That's a fact of life. Yeah. Uh, so you always end up with um, I don't want to say incompetent, but less competent people governing more competent people. Yeah. Well, right. And even if enough. someone was, if someone was at the top of the tech field when they got into government 20 years ago. Right. I mean, yeah, we use the same technology we used 20 years ago, right? I mean, it's still a computer. <laughs> so I, I know what it's like to, you know, dial up on a 14-4 modem. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so, you know, if you've been in government for quite a while, then you've lost the pulse of the industry that you might have pioneered. Yeah, very good. That's a good point. Um, you know, the, the the business forces you to grow and expand and be on your game and get better. You have to continually get better or you lose your business edge. In government, right. there's no there's no compulsion for that. There's no reason to do that. People just sit back and relax. Cool. Right. Yeah, next week on Everyday Politics. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, at this point, it seems like a natural time to jump into our Linux Academy ad. No, it's actually a terrible time, but I, I, sorry, it's all I got. Uh, LinuxAcademy.com, uh, our friends over there that, uh, that we talked about earlier, their job is t- making you a Linux administrator. You, the whether you know a little or a lot, their goal is is to make you a Linux administrator. And because they are a business and because they are fighting with other people who do the same thing, they have to continually get better at it. And they do that. Uh, Their model is started out out YouTube style. Videos online about how to do stuff. But it's grown so much more beyond that. If you you started listening to this, to our ads a couple of years ago, uh, has it been a couple, close to that, year and a half yeah, maybe, close. Uh, since we started doing their ads, you would know that we didn't have a whole lot to talk about. They were video ads and there were some study guides that went with them. But because they're a business and because they're a small business, they're forced to be nimble. They're forced to grow. Uh, they have grown so much beyond that. They're, they're now, of course, step-by-step video courses. Those are still there, uh, over 200 of them. But you also get... The uh, like I say, the, they they hit all modes of learning. You get the video for the visual learners. You have the 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 study guides and and written time logged uh, uh, quizzes for the hand, the verbal people for the read and write people. They have the the lab servers for the learn by doing people, and their lab servers are amazing. You can run up to eight different distributions. You can run four of them at a time. So you can pick any one of eight different distributions. You can run four different machines all live at the same time, interacting with each other. You can arbitrarily give them names that make sense to you. So you can name this server uh, web server and this server database server or name this server Bob and this server Dave, whatever you want to do. And you can interact with them in a safe environment. It's all virtual. If you blow something up, you just restart it and start over again. You're not going to bring down anybody else. Try going to a hosting provider and running an experiment on one of their servers and see what happens. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> Let me do that. Let me have fun for a little bit. Yeah. So at Linux Academy, you can do that in a safe place and nobody will come to your door uh, or or ban you for life from their service. It's all safe in their lab environment. 
And uh, and once you've done with that, once you've watched the videos, you've read the notes, you've experimented with it, you're ready to go, take a quiz. See if you've actually learned what you think you've learned. A lot of people suffer from test anxiety. They can't. They can know the stuff, but they can't uh, get it out of their head once it's time to test. Well, a good way to do that is practice testing, and they have that. They have online quizzes. They have online practice tests that mimic the real thing. In fact, you can go all the way through to your certification practice exam, which is so much like the the real exam that it's almost certain that if you can pass the one, you can pass the other. In fact, as far as I know, nobody has ever passed their practice exam and not passed the real certification exam. Uh, They keep numbers on that, and nobody's ever reported back and said, "Ah, I failed it. I couldn't do it. I could pass your exam, but I couldn't pass the real exam. Why is that? Because they work directly with the people who write these tests. The Linux Foundation, the CompTIA folks, they're working with these guys, and they're keeping their content up to date and current. Um, and one of their newest features is your the the online learning plan. Uh, so it's like a lesson plan. It's like a course syllabus, but it's for you. You select your daily availability, how many days you can work and on what days. And based on that ability, a, a, a availability, a study plan is created. Learning plans give you lessons and quizzes or labs, and they're due and on what days they're due. It'll even send you email reminders that you have these items due on this day. So you get up in the morning and you say, look, uh, you've got to do this quiz and watch these videos today. And based on all of that, it'll give you a project timeline, and it'll tell you that that you'll complete this course on this date, and they'll even pad it for study time. It's an amazing way of learning at a, at, a, at your own pace without having to figure out what your pace is. You just tell them, I'm available 20 minutes a day, three days a week, and I want to take this course. And they do all the stuff for you and say, all right, based on that, you should start here, and, and for these 20 minutes, this is what you got to get done. And on these 20 minutes, this is what you got to get done. And and it's it's an amazing system for people who are, um, shall we say, not as motivated as they need to be. It's, it's almost like having that uh, teacher who gives you an assignment and makes you do it and gives you a grade if you don't, a bad grade if you don't do it. Uh, it's an email reminder. It, it's, it's, it's a great way to learn. And all of this for only $25 a month. In fact, $25 a month is the most you can pay. You can never pay them more than $25 a month for their basic service. And everything that I just told you, that's their basic service. They have other stuff once you get in there, but this is their base. Amazing to me. But if you want to pay for three months, you want to buy a quarter of it, uh, that's only $20 a month. If you want to pay annually $199, that's less than $17 a month for all of this amazing stuff. Don't take the $100 bite right up front. Give them $25. Give them a month. That's that's a, a, a gourmet pizza or less. I mean, less than a gourmet pizza. If you try to go to like Mala Mushroom and buy a $25 pizza, you're going to get half a pizza. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> that, so 25- that, That's like uh, going to the movies and getting popcorn and drink. That's 25 bucks right there. Yeah. So 25 bucks for a month of all this learning. Test it out. See if you like it. And then if you do it, and I'm sure you will, buy the annual chunk. That's your best deal. Like everything else, you, you save more by buying in bulk. When you go, use the code EverydayLinux to let them know that we sent you. All right, now on to our news of the week. And we're, da, da, da. Yeah. <laughs> So let's start with, hey, buddy, want to buy a used video game? Of course. Yeah, this was a story I came across in Yahoo. And um, basically, the article tells you about this guy is selling this humongously large video game collection for $164. Um, 
what is $164,000. You're getting over 5,700 video games and 50 plus systems. Uh, and they're categorized. You can go here, you know, like Game Boys, the original Nintendo. He basically has every cartridge ever released for Nintendo plus some homebrewed ones. And then there's like even like, you know, PlayStation and Xbox stuff thrown in there. I just couldn't believe it. It was ridiculous. So, and it'll link. There's a doc, a Google Doc link in there that will list every game in there. So, you know, if you're just bored one night, take a look wow. and see what he has. And it'd be a trip down memory lane. And I guess what happened is wife says, um, it's me or the games. And by the way, the house comes with me. And he's like, well, if I lose you, then I don't have anywhere to put them. So I might as well sell them, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but I don't know what went on that would cause him to get rid of such a huge collection. But it's re and he's the sad thing is he's not interested in like parting them out. He wants to sell everything. all or nothing. Yeah. So yep. I think the world market for that is exactly one person, and it's him. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm in- like a lot of you know the rich people. Like whenever Facebook bought what's it for like eighty gazillion dollars, some of those guys said, "Hey, I want to have that." Or Google could buy this for one of their break rooms. You know, this is pocket <laughs> for Google. I think it's kind of cool. I mean, it, from what the pictures show, if that's a real picture, somebody's been taking excellent care of their games because they even got the plastic sleeves to cover up the contact points. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're not going to have a collection this big and not be one of those. That's my game. Don't you touch my game. I don't want your fingerprints on it. You know, wow. so obviously... You can't have that many and not be anal about it. That's impossible. <laughs> that, wow. That is wisdom. Or that's the wisdom of Forrest Gump right there. You can't have that many and not be anal about them. You know, some things you wow. can just speak about from experience. So, <laughs> so I'm all impressed. I'm, all I'm going to say about that. So I'm uh, impressed. <laughs> so, Chris, are you thinking you're a, a candidate? You're going to put a bid in on it? If if I had the money to bid on it, you bet I would. That it's is only one hundred and sixty four thousand dollars. It's only a small. That's only a house. Thank you. You've got that podcast money rolling in, man. You can <laughs> afford that. Yeah, the podcast and the oil field money rolling in, just rolling. <laughs> I can just drop dimes on it, you know, just boo. No, but I'm in, I'm shocked. This is like some. This is the best collection I've ever seen. Um, wow, I'm gonna have to borrow the pictures because i even see some of these some of these box arts are still there too this is this is impressive <laughs> chris is so geeking out right now oh yeah he's, he's lost Honey, it. We, we've we, we should not have done this first <laughs> no you shouldn't have because i'm just we, going gonna, i'm going through yeah, and the, i'm naming off all the, the ones i actually owned it's like yeah i had that one and i had that one <laughs> look on the bright side if you do buy that collection it's worthy of mortgaging for something else. You could actually take out a second mortgage on your collection. There you go. Uh, <laughs> all right. So moving on a lot. One of the things that uh, 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 other retailers complain about Amazon is that they don't have to compete with brick-and-mortar stores. And so lots of people have said, for one thing, for example, they, they have the advantage of no taxation if they sell online. So there have been people who've been trying to, to do, you know, like an Amazon tax, specifically for Amazon. Well, 
Amazon has done a lot of things to try to to mitigate this, and here's what I think is another one going to do. They're actually opening brick-and-mortar stores. So they can say, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, you got nothing to stand on. And the side benefit of that is if they've got a, a, a brick-and-mortar store, say, here in Atlanta near me, if I order something, it can be here same day. Nice. Yeah, the sad Someone help me is out, they're, any. Only, they're only opening up one store, and it's in Manhattan on 34th Street. I think what would be better for them is they could like buy Radio Shack for like fifteen dollars. Yeah, true. Get that they because you know Radio Shack they're still everywhere. They just they don't make any money because all they do is sell cell phones now. Nobody goes in there to buy anything because you can watch it on YouTube. Um, but you know they could they could buy Radio Shack and Radio Shack could become the Amazon brand. Oh yeah, it's, it, but it's that's I, I think it's a pilot. Bad. And if it does well, they'll spread it out because they already have the the pickup zones at places. Right. And, I, and I think this is this is they're going to see if the the tax benefits and the the goodwill benefits uh, outweigh the cost of it. For example, they they lose money on a lot of their um, like the Prime membership. They lose money on that because the next day shipping costs them a ton. Well, yep. they're going to do some math on it and say, can I buy rent and pay employees for less than I can pay FedEx and UPS to next day air these things? And I think they're going to find out the answer is yes. I predict we'll see these popping up in the year 2015 uh, around the country. You think so? Yep. That's my prediction. Because I think it's it's still going to be losing money, but I think it'll lose less money. And it'll totally suck all the air out of that, out of that argument that Amazon... Um, has a competitive advantage, and it's gonna it's gonna shut down a lot of lawsuits and a lot of complaints. Huh. Um, yeah, I just by that. doing this, so they don't have to make money; they just have to lose less money than they're losing on Prime right now. Well, then that would be making money. So that's true. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be in the red; it just has to be, or in the black; it just has to be less in the red. Hmm. Interesting. So you know, my years of business acumen says. <laughs> That's going to be the case. Um, so, Seth, I, I uh, let's do this I, one. Just I, I, I want to do this Ashton Kutcher one, but I hate to give Ashton Kutcher. I hate to even say the, his name, and I've said it twice already. <laughs> so, Ashton Kutcher wants to have a fifty-inch Android tablet at a reasonable price, but wh- what? Okay, well, he is an actual, he's like on staff with Lenovo, and he yeah. he apparently takes his job very seriously. He like flies out to Beijing, because when you're Ashton Kutcher and you got nothing else to spend your money on, you might as well fly out to Beijing. Well, he's and, spending Lenovo's money. Yeah, well, and you know, he, so he's, and he's, they've come up with this Yoga Tablet 2 Pro, and it's kind of a cool thing. It's a 13.3-inch Android tablet. Um, It has really has pretty decent specs you get good resolution the speakers in it are really good it comes with a built-in projector that allows you to mirror what's on the screen um, and the projector is on the side so it kind of shoots out the side um, I just think this kind of cool and it's it's four ninety nine ninety nine is the price so it's not like you know that's that's really not bad for um, you know because you're not doing a budget type low-end specs but again this isn't like a super duper solid state everything but 
I just think it's pretty cool. So it, it's an Android tablet. So it's not, you know, Windows that you can put Android if you want. It actually comes with Android and it, it gives you the ability to have a theater experience running off your tablet. Um, and the testing that they've done on it said that the, um, the speakers are actually pretty decent. And, um, you know, one of the things they did is it's not a super thick laptop, but you know, it's not like a mini iPad or MacBook air. It's like, but it's still kind of thin, but they said that since most people do their, most of their, um, you know, a laptop use at home they decided to just get rid of a little bit of the mobility so they could put a little bit more specs in there and you get a pretty decent thing so i think it's kind of cool i mean you only get wvga resolution so you're not getting you know you're not going to get the full 1080p uh hdtv experience but that's still not bad resolution for and it's something first of gen. this price and it's first yeah. gen My- my experience with portable projectors, though, is that they only work in a perfectly dark room, um, and this is even smaller than the the current small form projectors on the market. So I'm expecting this to be a very low lumen rate, uh, such that you need a white wall in a black room to make it useful at all. Yeah, again, I don't necessarily first gen. Yeah, yeah, I don't really disagree with what you're saying. I was just. I was shocked whenever I saw it. And like I say, I haven't tested it because Element OP is not high enough on the food chain <laughs> to be getting these type of things yet. But these people, they looked at it and they were like, you know, again, you know, you're not getting built in super home theater thing, but it's not crap. So, you know, I think it's probably obviously substandard as if you had a projector on your arm, but Man, you buy a cheap projector, you're dropping four hundred dollars. Um, so this you're getting it all rolled into one, and I, it just seemed kind of interesting, and I wanted to talk about it. Um, so thought I would share. All right, I think it's a cool and, idea. Um, I've done. Have you, either you guys used the Yoga? Their their convertible laptop. No, I've not used that, but I've used some that convert in that way. So. Yeah, I, I was a big fan of the Toshiba uh, Toshiba Portage models. I had three of those over a span of several years, so I know the the form factor. Okay, because the I had um, before I shut my my business down, the the I had a a uh, lawyer come to me and, and want something, and the what she described to me was the yoga. And when I started playing with it before she got it, I was impressed. Um, and from what I understand, the last time I talked to her, she still uses it, and it's still the best thing she's ever owned. Uh, so, yeah, it, it maybe got Aston Kutcher's name on it, but Lenovo doesn't release anything that's garbage. And this looks just like what she, you know the one of the complaints that she had about the yoga is some of the things that they're fixing on this, like the kickstand and things like that. Um, I could see this, you know, maybe this is not the breaking out year of it, but I could see it taken off in, in certain forms in certain use cases um, I don't see it sitting in someone's living room but I could see it in a boardroom or something like that you know I mean especially if you were like you know instead of giving your kid a a laptop and a TV or something you know because they're going to be watching Netflix or whatever this would be a great way to get them both so they can sit in their room and project stuff up on the wall instead of having the computer right in front of them maybe um 
you know, like I say, I just think I would be considering spending money to get this. Um, like I said, I'm, you know, and I don't, I don't part with my money for stuff, but this <laughs> yeah. has me thinking about it. That's actually quite an endorsement that you're thinking about paying for it. Yeah. Um, and because we love Apple so much, we need to point out that, uh, they have reached, uh, the number one in another stat. Um, of course, the stat is most fished customers. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Apple truly is number one king of the hill, but yeah. So, uh, it, they are now the most fished brand according to the latest report from the anti fishing work group. Uh, 17.7% of all phishing attacks from the first half of this year were aimed at Apple. Um, and to put this in perspective, PayPal was number two at 14.4. So, you know, PayPal, I'm always getting those things from PayPal or or my spam filter is spam filters getting much better at detecting them. Your Um, account is limited until you contact us. Yes. I get 12 of those a day. Yeah. So, but now (laughs) Apple is the number one brand. So, yay, Apple. You know, power you know, And to what people. I think that means is that Apple has the uh, the reputation among ne'er-do-wells as being the domain of the unsophisticated user. Yeah. So for a long time, that was Windows. The idiots ran Windows. Now, at least 17.3% of the hackers think that the idiots run micro, uh, Apple. Uh, and I don't think they're wrong about that. And that's not a slam on Apple. It's, it's, it's actually, it's a downside to their success at making things so easy to use that you don't have to know anything to use them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and this really ties in with our conversation with Jen. Um, you need to know some of the underlying technology. You don't have to know the technology to use it, but if you know the technology, it makes your user experience better. So, and that's, that's the case here. You know, anybody can get out there and, you know, buy a smartphone and, oh, look, I can, I can do Facebook and I can send the, I can send the, I can, I am you now. And then, oh, what's this? Oh, I got to go check my ID. Oh, I got something telling me my account's been locked out. And, you know, so, yeah. Because people don't understand because they don't know the technology. They just know the usage. You know, they're wide open for attacks like this. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, my mom is 65 years old and about as unsophisticated a technician as you can be, and she uses Android. Uh, And so that, you know, Apple is not the only place unsophisticated people live. Uh, In fact, one of the things that we've said so many times that uh, uh, the Android and iOS and Windows and Mac and Linux have all reached parity in their relative fields. Parity also means that the idiots are fairly evenly distributed. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of idiots, how about the DEA (laughs) who thought it would be a good idea? To take pictures off of a suspect, actually she was convicted, but off of a, a convict's phone after she said, you you can, she signed a, a release that said you can use whatever you find on my phone, um, and they used it, not in her case, but to set up a fake Facebook phishing account, a honeypot on Facebook. Wow. Speaking of idiots. It's, I... I don't, you know, this is, and the sad part is what they did is not illegal. No, that, just stupid. That, 
Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, they've used this person's picture has like basically a sting setting up bait for somebody. Um, yeah. And, uh, I don't understand. I, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't either. I, so the, the, to read some of the article from, uh, Tech News World, it's, it's been all over the place, but this is the article right. that we have here. United States Drug Enforcement Agency co-opted a woman's identity, identity to create a Facebook page as a ruse to investigate suspects, according to BuzzFeed, who broke the story. The agency posted racy pictures of the woman from her phone, uh, uh known as the Sandra Prince, as well as a photo of her, a photo of her and her young son and niece. So not just her, but her kid, the photos were taken from the fo- uh, from her cell phone, which the agency had seized. Prince uh, had been arrested on charges of her participated in a drug ring, but ultimately was found to be a bit player and sentenced only to probation. So in the process of being not quite exonerated, but realizing that she was not a big player in this, one of the things they did was they confiscated her cell phone. And one of the things they made her sign that she signed probably without reading it said that we'll, we can use whatever we find on your cell phone to, uh, for further investigations. It basically, she probably thought it'll go easier on me if I squeal on the other people I know States evidence, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Right. What she didn't expect was that pictures of her scantily clad would show up on a Facebook uh, page for a fictional person. Wow. Yeah. And, and they just, there's just, Ahead, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm stutter shocked. I can't believe that they would do. I mean, well, no, I can believe that they would do it, but I can't believe that they thought it was okay. Um, not only is it bad to, in general, for people to, you know, scam your phone out of you, but the government to do it on their own, that's just lame. I, I just, I can't believe that they would do it. I, I really, way to go, yeah, DEA. And, and and here's the thing. The U.S. Department of Justice has prosecuted other people for faking Facebook profiles. Um, you know, and it could be considered like a wiretap act violation. I, I don't, un- I don't understand why they would. Now, it's one thing to say, Hey, we want to use your picture, you know, and then you're being, you're getting consent. And that's totally different than saying, um, whatever we find, we can use. Well. Right. You know, there's certain implications in that statement that, you know, and granted, you're an idiot because you agreed to something without spelling it out. But, you know, that's the government intimidating you basically to agree. And there's really there's and again, this is, you know, this goes back to the whole legal versus ethical thing. There is no ethical way the government should be doing this. Um, What, you know, and again, Technically, it wasn't illegal because she agreed to it, but she didn't agree to that. She and, agreed. And something I, I want to uh, not ignore here is while the Facebook page was fake, they used her real name. So this is her real name and her real picture on a page that she doesn't control, yep. trying to lure drug traffickers. How dangerous, anyone? This is a terrible thing. They have endangered this woman and her son and, and niece. her niece, yep. which isn't even a part of her immediate family, right? So they've endangered another family because they thought it would be a handy way to catch bad guys. Whatever happened to doing police work the hard way? 
all the all the recent um, invasions of privacy that we've seen are all about making things easier for law enforcement. I believe in law for enforcement. I support law enforcement. I support them doing their job. And if that means it's hard work, suck it up and do hard work. Yeah, us tech yes, guys. Yes, it's have easier to. to just just break the encryption. Sure, that's easier, but that doesn't make it legal or right. Sorry, Chris, I stomped on you there. What were you saying? I was going to say, you know, it, it, us tech guys have to do our hard work. And even when we try to make things easy, we get told, no, no, that's not the right way. Go do it the right way. So. I mean, we've had so many stories recently of the government wanting, you know, uh, BlackBerry, hand over the keys to your encryption because it's easier. Um, uh, what was the mail service? Uh, that oh. got shut down, and I can't remember. But that, lava, that's, yeah, uh, lava bit, lava mail, lava bit, lava, lava bit, bit. I think, yeah. So, so basically, they said to him, um, "We think maybe one or two people are doing something bad, and we don't want to do the homework. We don't want to track them down. Just give us the encryption keys to all of your database. We promise to only look at the bad guys." Yeah, yeah, like that's gonna what? happen. You know, wouldn't it be easier for the government to have keys to all of our houses so that any time they could walk in and make sure we're not doing anything wrong? Yes, it would be eager, easier, but it sure wouldn't be legal. <laughs> well, it isn't a government-driven state. And that's the problem. We have this idea that if law enforcement does it, that makes it legal. No. No, it doesn't. The government doing it doesn't, by definition, make it legal. Not in this country. At least that's not how the Constitution was written. Yeah, it didn't used to make it, uh, unfortunately. But, yeah, and what the way something's written and how it's used is not necessarily the same thing, unfortunately. You know, it's one of those same things. They get mad, and I can't remember the, the guy's name or the position he held, but railing against um, the always-on, by the on-by-default encryption in Android and Apple yeah. now talking about oh. how we well, you know you're just making it harder for us to catch crimes. Well, you know, by by his exact same logic, me putting a wall around where I live so people can't see in makes it harder for you to see any crimes I'm committing. So therefore I should not have any walls at my house. People should just be able to walk by and look at me sitting in my underwear watching TV. You know, I mean, I'm doing everybody a service by keeping my stuff private. So, you know, let's just leave it at that, people. On a side note, every now and then my wife will say something about the fact that I have a window shade up while I'm partially dressed. And my response is, if they're looking at our windows, they deserve what they get, baby. Yeah. This does more for keeping PB Tom right. than any security system. One look at this. It ain't nobody coming back. Feast your eyes and tear them out. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say I've, something because I, I just found out about this the other day, and I don't know if everybody has realized that or not, but you know how iPhone has the uh, um, fingerprint reader, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you know you could be compelled to put your fingerprint on your iPhone to unlock it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, that's That's... That's a, a relatively recent thing. It's basically in the same way that you can be compelled to turn over a key to a door. Yep. But and recently, and I think it was Massachusetts, somebody was compelled to to give up a password. That's the first time that's happened in this country. Well, but, but you can not easily legal, say though. I forgot. Yeah. 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 You can't be. The current law is 
you can't be compelled. I mean, they can try to intimidate you and, you know, in, you know, make it seem as if you have to, but you can be compelled to, you know, give a fingerprint or a token that you own. You cannot be compelled to enter a password. Well, in, in, I believe it was Massachusetts, the, the state court, the ruled that you can wasn't wasn't a local court it was a state court said that it was okay that this this person could be compelled to give a password wow that's news and their logic was that they didn't expect to find anything they didn't already know um like they were trying to prove ownership and since they already knew that they owned it entering the password to prove ownership wouldn't have helped I'm, I'm totally scraping these out of the bare resources of my brain, so I could get it wrong. But essentially, their argument was, we don't think this will actually help us, so that makes it okay for us to compel you to do it. Well, we to that, I would say, my... what password? I don't know what that is. I can't tell you yeah. what that is. Yeah, That's why you That's... need to have a two-password system where the second password actually encrypts it with porn. So you put in the incorrect <laughs> password, and all of a sudden it's porn downloaded off the internet, and not what you really have. And then Don't you put see. in the other password to decrypt your files and look at all your useless cat photos. Oh, there's a so, lot yeah. of money to be made for that. That, that needs to be awesome. an open source project right there. Let's start the uh, whatever fundraiser we want to use. Indiegogo, baby. So I, I like it. A fake password that when entered obfuscates all your files gives you files lets you look through stuff gives you a real file system but none of it's real i like it i like it a lot i like it too once you enter this password it launches a fake file manager that points at fake files this is a good idea seth and does it over and over and over you know uh what a hidden in porn site that would be that's the name (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome you better go get that domain name before somebody else snags it (laughs) Well, it wouldn't have to be porn. It could literally be all cat photos, right? And so you, every file that they find is a photo of a cat. That would be great. Well, you know, for me, uh, that's great and PG, but I would, man, I would rather send them at something really disgusting. Like, you know, uh, no, I'm not going to say any of them because I don't want anybody to go searching for any of the stuff that I've been accidentally sent in a chat message before. <laughs> was that was that air quotes on accidentally chris definitely accidentally somebody said hey you need to go see this and sent it to me and it was like okay well what is it and then i went oh god i don't have yeah, enough bleach i accidentally spent 14 hours watching <laughs> porn yesterday don't know how happened. oh no if it had been yeah, at least you know normal porn. I'd have been okay with it, but this was not normal porn. This was evil, nasty. I there's 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 nothing. I don't, don't, don't want to know. I, I don't can't know. scrub okay. my image out of my brain. Vivid. Don't tell me. <laughs> there's not enough Ajax in the planet to clean out my head after seeing that. So let's just I, go with that. I'm so afraid of where this show just went. <laughs> I like the kittens ones better. Oh, everything is a kitten <laughs> or a puppy dog. Yes. It's a great idea, though, because you could do it on mobile systems. So you could you could present the fake lo- uh, pattern screen, right, that you see right. on Android. And then if you do one pattern, it lets you into your real system. And if you do another pattern, it lets you into the fake system. It would take a lot of resources. But, man, I like the idea. But, you know, because you, you get a 128-gig iPhone now. So, you know, you have, you have, you know, your OS 
takes what does an Apple OS take now? 45 gigs. Um, <laughs> so that leaves you, you know, 60 or so yeah. free. So you have 30 gigs of filler and 30 gigs of real and you're good. Log into a fake Gmail account where all the emails are about kittens. Log into a fake Instagram account where all the pictures are of cats. That's Log into awesome. a fake Dropbox where they're all zipped encrypted photos of cats. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's a great idea. Oh, that's, that's oh, and awesome. you could sell it as an app too, and then yeah. you get money for selling it plus Absolutely. all the advertising. That would be good because you know you give every app permission to do everything on your phone right. anyway yeah. whenever you install it. So, oh, that's even. I see you've just modified it. It's even better. Every click opens an ad. Everything you do opens an ad. So not only do the cops not get real data, but they're swimming in pop-up ads everywhere. <laughs> this is great. I love this. Every time you click on something, punch the monkey comes up. Everything you do opens a, a thousand pop-up windows. We're going back to Windows 95 and IE6. Every time you click on something, 50 pop-up windows come up, and they're all cats. Nice. And then you get your phone back. What did you do to my phone? <laughs> And then you reboot, log in with your real password, and there's all your stuff. Oh, oh somebody write this. Somebody. Somebody write this, please. I will pay you for this. Uh, yeah, that, that makes me, I will pay at least for one of them. Uh, maybe both apps. I'll, I, we'll donate to the the project. How's that? Android, iOS, Windows, Mac, Linux. It's brilliant. This is brilliant. We're giving you gold, people. Not even asking for royalties. This is how open source works here. I <laughs> That's right. Talk to open source Riley about this. <laughs> oh, Jen is going to listen back to this show and say, I should have stayed so I could have veered those guys <laughs> onto something. She, her name is now associated with the all kitten porn app. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Jen. I didn't think about that. <laughs> I don't know that that would have stopped me had I thought about it. <laughs> yeah. At least you have now plausible deniability. I didn't think of think this through. Yeah. Oh. It's all right, but it's awesome. Somebody write the app and send us the link. We will feature oh. it here on the show. This is a million-dollar idea because all of those ads could be real ads. Yeah. You could really be generating money for the thousands of ads that pop up. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah, it's awesome. The, the the thoughts that just run through my head are just hilarious. That could you imagine being one of the law officials that did open that up, and they'd be like, "What the heck? What? Huh? You could have the My Little Pony version, the Hello Kitty version, the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle version, right. the the and Grumpy each one Cat of those version. Ninety nine cents. <laughs> you, know, you buy your base app, and then each each skin is it's an added. There you go. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is brilliant. I think I'm going to take an app developer course right now. (laughs) This show's over. You could have have a version where everything is the Rickroll video. Everything you click takes you to the Rickroll video. But they took the Rickroll video down. I'm never going to give you up. I'm never going to let you down. I'm never going to say goodbye and hurt you. Oh, oh, this show is officially broken. I love it. Oh, We've lost. No. Uh, <laughs> We've lost Seth. He's gone. So he's gone for the rest of the show. Oh, no, he's, oh I am oh. literally crying a tear <laughs> over the Rick Roll idea. 
know. I like the I like the My Little Pony idea personally. Yeah. Dude, my all the cops would be like, "Look, there, he's a Brody." <laughs> oh, and then people could pay to brand it, right? You could have the Jersey Shore version. <laughs> <laughs> See, Fox knew Fox would television show would be all over this. Every show would have a different version of this app. Oh, it's great. Yeah. That's Again, just- do it, somebody out there. <laughs> tell tell your developer friend to set us up. Let's 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 get this to be an actual thing. Wow, best idea ever, Seth. Wow, <laughs> totally wow. unintentional, but man, that kick butt! I love it. Oh, the things we stumble into. So, uh, Seth, what happened this week in history? Oh man, okay, this week in history, it kind of actually ties in with the show now uh october the 12th 1979 the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy the first of five books in the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy comedy science fiction series by douglas adams is published this week in history october the 12th 1979 the first in the five book trilogy yes Uh, one of my favorite matter of fact my very favorite five book trilogy of all times it's a good book i've read it probably twice at least yeah, I I very rarely reread things. I've read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy three times, um, and that's that's maybe the only book I've ever read three times. And I've read all five of them three times. Wow, just great stuff. Yes. Every movie they've ever made has sucked, though. <laughs> yep, can't yeah. can't argue with that. All right, Whew. the endorphin high is wearing off. My gut's still uh, coming hurt. back down now. Seth, what do you have to uh, to lower my productivity other than the Bronies app <laughs> this week? Yeah, um, you know everything's a letdown after my million dollar idea. Oh. But um, this, if you'll click on the link in the show notes, there will be. It's a YouTube video from the Luminaire Brothers in France. Um, arrival of a train at this station. I don't speak French. I barely speak English. Um, but this is common, commonly recognized as the first publicly projected film ever in the history of the world. Um, so you can click. It's not very long. It's just a picture of a train arriving at a station and the people getting off and coming on. So, um, it happened in night in 1895. And this is, you know, somebody. Um, converted it to a, I guess, a flash video and uploaded it to YouTube for us to watch. You know what's fascinating about this is uh, I, I read some some history about this. The Lumiere brothers they also did the 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 Don de la Moon, the the voyage to the moon thing. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Yep. Um, when they were doing this, when this opening scene here, where the train was coming at the camera, people in the audience's uh, audience literally got out of the way. They had they'd never experienced anything like this. It was so new. They had trouble disassociating from the fact that there was a train coming at them. That, right. And so everywhere they went, this the same reaction, at least somebody in the audience had that same reaction. Um, also, uh, early on they in filmmaking, they weren't sure that, that you could do a jump cut and people would understand that it was the same scene because, you know, in, in real life that doesn't happen. And so it was, it was, there was this thing on the history of filmmaking I was learning. But yeah, this arrival at the train at La Chiota, I'm going to say, um, was as Bless this train, you. yes, <laughs> as this train approached, people literally got out of the way because they were scared that a train was going to come into the theater because they couldn't, they couldn't wrap their heads around the fact that it was a two dimensional image on a screen. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. 
So that that's some that's some real live history for you. This uh my part of my show closing spectacular. Yes. And yes, I was reading a book on the history of film. Why do you ask? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a geek, dang it. Nothing uh, wrong with that. Yeah, why would you even have to say everybody knows that? I mean, who wouldn't read a book on the history <laughs> of film? So if you would like uh, to comment on this show, and we gave you lots to comment on, the, the way you can do that is go to elementop.com, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page, and uh, that will send us a well-formatted email and gets top priority in my inbox. But if you want to do it yourself, you want to strike out on your own and not use be, be uh, restricted to my DRM'd form and you want your own form, you can just go to uh, the email client of your choice and uh, send an email to edl at uh, elementop.com. That will go to all three of us, and we will read it and comment on it and make fun of your bad grammar. Um, If you want your own voice to appear right here next to mine, you can call 559-IMOP anywhere in North America. That's a free call. And uh, leave us a Google Voice message, and uh, we'll play that and put it on there. We love uh, hearing from our audience. We love it when when you give us comments when you give us suggestions uh as we've said many times before this is listener programmed radio we'll do what you want to do within reason (laughs) if you're an app developer and want to make the my little pony kitten jersey shore app uh please by all means contact us and let us know where we can download it yes Um, we thank you for listening to the show uh uh chris seth as always thanks for being grace host jen if you're listening i'm sorry I'm sorry that your name is associated with this, but thank you for being a great guest. And uh, I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Never going to give you up, never going to let you down.